0: I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Leah Rowe, founder of The Perk, a premier leadership and team coaching, training and development studio on a mission to build the world's best leaders and teams. Leah is a CPA by training, but a leadership coach and organizational trust expert by choice. She took the leap from accounting to people and culture after serving as the VP of people, ops and culture at a health IT company. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, Leah Rowe. Leah, welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast.
1: Yay! I'm excited to be here.
0: <laughs> I love what you're doing with trust and you know the work that you do with CPAs. But let's go way back so let's not get into the boring bits too early let's talk about your journey and and how you because you're a cpa to begin with aren't you i am yeah so how did that come about did you have cpas in your family were you influenced by family members in your vocational selections
1: (laughs) yes i was born with a 10 key in my hand no um (laughs) but when i was i was in college i started out as a biology major And realized halfway through, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be osmosis is not for me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to work in a lab. I'm not quite sure what I'm gonna do with this degree. And my dad, who's a CPA and he was a CFO of a construction company, and we got together and he said, you know, you should try some business classes. See, you know, if you like business. And so I started some business classes and I came to him and I said, you know what, this accounting. This is fun. Like the debits equal the credits. It's a game. like you just have to figure it out. It always like <laughs> it always foots. And he was like, Leah, if accounting comes easily to you or if it feels easy, like maybe you should get a degree in that because I was graduating in 2010 when in the US like everything was kind of falling apart all the, the banking crisis, everything. And so he's looking at you know a 22 year old kid who hopefully can graduate with a job. And so accounting seemed like a safe bet from his perspective. But he also told me, he goes, one of the great things about accounting is if you end up wanting to do something else, you have this great background, you understand how a business operates, you know how it makes money, you know all of these things. So you can go into any other area having this really good foundational knowledge. So I got my accounting degree, started out in public accounting. So I was auditing financial institutions, so banks, mortgage companies, credit unions, all of that really fun stuff. and. So I did that for about three, four years. My first day, I alphabetically got put next to Dan Rowe at training, who then became my husband. So it was all, you know, <laughs> it was all nice yeah. I loved working with clients. I loved my team, but I just didn't, I didn't love public accounting. And so then I, um, I started working with a company called Fine Point Consulting, and so I did outsourced accounting. So outsourced controllership, CFO work for uh, small businesses, startups, got really into working with entrepreneurs and startup scene and just loved that, loved working alongside people that were so passionate in solving big problems. And I was also really interested in how they were building their teams and their culture. So did that, helped one of my clients raise a a series B round and joined them as their full-time VP of finance and operations. And so now is when we kind of shift out of CPA world where um, on my first day at this company, um, my CEO came into my office and said, hey, Leah, nobody here is doing people ops. Do you think that you could do people ops? and i said for sure jonathan i can definitely do people ops i mean we're a startup right you like roll up your sleeves you you
0: just do whatever it takes yep
1: you do whatever it takes and so i told him yes absolutely i can do people ops and i went over to my computer and i googled what is people ops and that was how i found (laughs) out what i was supposed to be doing so that's where i learned you know that people ops it's hr but it's also employee experience and culture development and leadership development and trust building and scaling trust and all of this stuff. And I just became totally obsessed with it and realized that, you know, while I am a great accountant, a great CPA, people like me as their VP of finance because I can talk about numbers in a way that makes you not want to claw your eyes out. Like, while I'm good at that, my calling was really in the people development space, the culture development and leadership
0: development. So
1: that's kind of my story of how I got here with you today.
0: Yeah, today, all the way up to our podcast. <laughs> so how did that startup go? You did the Series B. You looked at, you, you became more entrenched in the people ops side of things. The finances obviously went fine. Was it an evolution for you in terms of, you know, how you developed your theories around people ops and trust and team building and leadership and all those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, it was one of the most fantastic things about it, that company was that it was like, a sandbox it was a playground i was given ownership over the area of people ops and really just given kind of freedom to create and i am i am a visionary i am a an entrepreneur at heart and so i kind of got to be an entrepreneur within the company and test out a lot of different things and try different things and so that was it was really fun and it was exciting and as we grew i So I was VP of Finance, Operations, People, Ops, and Culture. And as we grew, I shed the finance and operations titles and focused solely on people and culture. And then in 2018, I went on maternity leave to have my first daughter, Betty. And we decided as a leadership team, what was best for me personally and for the company was that I was going to take my three-month maternity leave and I was not going to work. I wasn't going to check in because we really wanted to be an example that you could be a woman executive at this company, you could take time off and it not um, negatively affect you.
0: (laughs) Not doing email in the maternity ward. (laughs)
1: Exactly. So long story short, we did hit a little bit of a hiccup over my maternity leave. And so I was actually, we had a 40% reduction in force. I was actually laid off while I was on maternity leave. And so it was at that moment that I had a choice. We went from being totally fine to having no income no insurance a newborn no idea what to do my husband at that time well my my only husband my current husband (laughs) husband at
0: that time (laughs) first one anyway
1: (laughs) dan had quit his job recently to start his own outsourced accounting practice but we hadn't really gotten it off the ground yet so neither one of us had any revenue coming in and so we had a choice in that moment we said okay i can wallow in my own self-pity and everyone will feel bad because this is a real Sad story, right? To get laid off on maternity leave. Or I can start this business that I've been dreaming of starting for years in the realm of people ops and culture and leadership development. And the thing is, I never would have left. I don't think I would have ever left that job because I loved it so much. I loved the company and I loved the team. So this was almost like a sign from the universe that it was like, hey, it's time to go. Like, it's time to go do the thing that you've been dreaming of. And so that was how I started the perk now four and a half years ago because I can measure my business baby and my actual baby they are like
0: yes (laughs) more or less day for day not quite yeah it must be a thing we started both our companies when either just while Amanda was pregnant or 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 shortly thereafter I think it must be a suicidal gene it's like how can I make this harder you know And nowhere near as bad for me that it is for you you know like you're typically and in our situation as well as like you know amanda was doing on most of the hard work but uh it's not easy right like none of it's easy
1: (laughs) it's easy but i almost feel like after you have a baby it's almost like nothing else seems that hard you know i felt like on top of the world i was like i can do anything like my body just pushed out a baby like I could do anything. Would yeah. <laughs> to lay me off? Yeah. That's fine. I'm going to start a business.
0: <laughs> I'm also, cool. <laughs> your
1: priorities shift a little bit, you know, and you're like, life, yeah. So I feel like it was the perfect time, at least for me, to be like, all right, let's do this. Or I have very little sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think that's part of it too, right?
1: Decision making is a little long, It's
0: fine. It's sort of like, you know, all right, okay, well, we're all in now. We're fucked, so we might as well just keep going. <laughs>
1: Might as well go out with a bang. Like I'd rather. Yes,
0: like, yeah, buy- that's right. Because- What's the worst that can happen? Dan will just have to make exactly. more money. We'll pay the mortgage.
1: And that was the thing. We were like, we could always go back to corporate America. Yeah. One of the nice things about being a CPA, which both of us are CPAs, is that you always need CPAs. So we knew we could always find a good job. So we yeah. might as well try. Yep.
0: Yeah. And uh, being good CPAs, you would have had your budget down to the, you know the dollar and away you go and make sure all the bills are paid and. <laughs> Yep eating noodles <laughs> Thursdays and Friday nights.
1: What's good about having both C- both those be is Dan's very concerned on the expenses. He's good at watching that and I really love revenue. So yeah, I'm really, yeah, yeah. really okay. well, you
0: that. you and I are you and I are aligned a there but uh, I lack the my, my wife is well she was a lawyer but um was pretty good at the I want to say it properly. We're both good at spending money, not that great at uh, not spending it. It's not uh, I'm not going to dump her in it here because it's, it's I'm just as bad at it, but that's okay. And so you kicked off the perk with what in mind? What was the genesis of the hypothesis that you began with?
1: Well, we started off with the hypothesis of let's start a business and let's try and stay alive as a business. And so we were like, we'll do everything. Finance, operations, accounting, people, culture, leadership, like we'll do it all. And because a limiting belief I had was that I wanted to do leadership development. I wanted to do culture development, work in this area of, especially with trust. And I just had this limiting belief that because that's what I want to do, there's no way that's what people need. People probably want us to just do, you know, finance operations, things like that. And, but again, like I was the main salesperson. So I'm out and I'm talking about the things that are really interesting to me and exciting to me, and that's culture and leadership and trust. And so we ended up filling our entire portfolio with, all of that work, the things that I actually wanted to be doing. So we started off being like, we want a business. we want to stay alive. We'll do whatever we can, whatever we're skilled at.
0: Whatever somebody's going to pay us to do apart from go down the Castro in San Francisco and we draw the line there, right?
1: Right, right. Go <laughs> you wash your car, We'll wash your car. Like we were just like, we will do whatever. so but then you know, we were able to really narrow in and niche on um, leadership development and leadership coaching. And so that's where we're at. But no, it did not start off just like a. This is exactly what we're gonna do. It's been an evolution for sure.
0: Yeah. And how has Dan's firm sort of played into this as well? Is you know you're sort of setting off on similar paths, right? Like at similar times, but divergent. Perhaps yep. parallel would be the the best analogy. But um, you're sort of sharing war stories along the way. Are you sharing the ups and downs together and, and growing together. What was that like?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So we started the business in you know, August of 2018, and we were doing pretty well, but we were a very young business when the pandemic hit. And so when the pandemic hit, things got really shifted. And for a while there, it was like, you know, the first things that were cut were like, Things like leadership coaching, leadership development, teamwork.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't. (laughs) We don't know if we're gonna we're gonna have a business, let alone leaders (laughs) the leaders in it, right?
1: Yep. So for a minute there, our revenue went to completely zero, and luckily, so my background when I was VP of People in Culture, it was at a remote first company. So my background is in building, developing, and scaling remote teams and culture. So that came in really handy then when pandemic happened and everyone had to go remote, we were able to pivot and really help companies and leaders, one, get remote, but then how do you engage a remote workforce? How do you lead? So that was helpful.
0: As the pandemic was sort of evening out, if you like, settling down, everybody was sort of looking for that kind of expertise.
1: Exactly. But at that time too, you know, we went to zero dollars of revenue and we had a child who we had to feed. So Dan left the company and went and got a full-time job. And so he was working at another startup as basically a COO, for a year and a half. And then he came back perk full time a year ago this month because with demand and the way we were growing and scaling and everything, we really needed um his area of expertise, which you know is very much in the finance and operations and accounting. So now he's full-time doing all of that for the company. I always say he takes care of everything. So I get to show up and show off. And he makes everything else <laughs> run and grow and everything scale.
0: Works, yep. Great. <laughs> And is it still the two of you? Have you got, uh, what's the idea for uh, for growth and expansion? And what does the ideal company look like for you?
1: So we do have two full-time employees. And I think that that's what's really interesting about being an entrepreneur is your vision of success changes. When we first started the company, I was like, you know, I want a massive company. I want 500 employees. I come from the VC back world. So I'm like, I want to get VC money. I want to do all these things. And that's just not what success looks like for us right now. We have two employees. We are out. We're finding, you know, amazing experts in terms of sales and marketing and all these things to really outsource a lot of that stuff too. And we're really enjoying having this small, but mighty team working with awesome clients, doing work that we love, you know, we're profitable, all that good stuff. And we're also able to spend a lot of time with our young kids right now. So our idea of success might change in a year or two when the kids are in school, like And then we'll pivot and evolve and change the company to meet that idea of success. But, you know, I'm interested for you too. Like when you started the company, was it, have you kept like that same vision of success and what you wanted or has it evolved?
0: Oh, well, no, I I think you spot on vision of success always evolves. I mean, I was a moron. I, I should have known way better and realized that. Everything takes three times as long and and costs three times as much to to get going. I thought I kind of knew everything, and um, turns out I knew fuck all. <laughs> but that's okay. It's all right. I I came to terms with it. Some days easier than others. I feel
1: like if you knew everything, you wouldn't start a business. Like you know, there is some like there's some oh, of that you, like, no,
0: God no. <laughs> Course, not there's no way you would, right? Like, it's, I don't want to make the analogy. You know, we talked about pregnancy and, and young children, I don't want to make the analogy, but it's sort of like, you know, once you're in, you sort of got to keep going. And if you had it kind of known, would you have made the same decision? That's the analogy. Not, I don't want to make that draw the comparison between the pain of business and childbirth. That, that would be very white and ignorant of me and male, and so I won't. <laughs> But there is a thing at the moment, I reckon, where, you know, the amount of information available to particularly SaaS companies, right? But, you know, a lot of software companies, but also companies in general, right? If the volume of information does not match the, you know, how easy it is to execute or the capacity to execute, and if you could absorb all that information Would you go out and and be successful? Somebody actually said, I want to say it was on Twitter, but it's relatively intelligent, so it probably wasn't. So what they said was, you know, you can read everything in the world about shooting a three-point shot right on the basketball court. You can read, you know, all the biomechanics, you can read (laughs) everything about perhaps the mental state, but you know, if you've never picked up a basketball before, uh, we well, probably haven't lived in America, but if you've never lived in a, uh, picked up a basketball f- before, you know, everything about shooting a three-point shot, but you know, you're still at your 10,000 hours, right? So I think, yes, we thought we'd be further ahead. We're very successful now on on most people's definitions. We are hopefully are making an impact in the accounting industry, and hopefully that improves people's lives. That's what we want to do. And to me that that is a definition of success that I'm reasonably happy with today and um did we want to be bigger probably well, definitely did we want to be earlier definitely are we happy with it yeah yeah I mean I, I think it just depends on the industry that you're selling into and the and the pace at which that that group of people can absorb what you're offering and how close it is to the needs of that group of people right so You can have the best product in the world, but if, you know, and it might be a tent on Mars, right? If nobody's there to buy it, it's really hard to make money out of it.
1: (laughs) Can I, I'm curious, are you having fun? Most days. Yeah.
0: Most days. Yeah. We, um, talk about trust, you know, we, we, you talked about a reduction in force before we did something similar in, in, um, September because the macroeconomic environment changed dramatically our revenue was not growing at the pace in which we had anticipated and we we'd hired for a greater level of revenue and um fuck that's not fun i mean he, there is just no way to have fun during a, a period like that so we're still we're not going through that anymore but we're, we're um you know coming out the other side of it and some days are, are a grind i think the way that we assess or the way that i look at the levels of saas businesses ones and threes which I copy, which we call it R&D, research and duplicate. I copied that off Tien uh, who founded Zora, pretty phenomenal founder. And um, so, you know, you just look at the, the zero to one, the one to three, the three to 10, the 10 million to 30 million, the 30 million to 100 million. And we're in the 10 to 30. I'm enjoying it. I've committed to at least get to the 30. I think that'll be sort of probably not next year, but, uh, you know, up in and around probably soon, hopefully early the year after and, and see how I feel, you know, if I'm not the best person for that job to go 30 to a hundred, that's fine. That's absolutely fine by me. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people queuing up to tell me about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm curious with, you know, you said you had like a reduction in force earlier or a couple months ago. What do you feel like, like in terms of trust, like, how do you feel like that affected at your company?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, how did this podcast go? It, we've, I can fit this. This is this is not the way it's supposed to work.
1: <laughs> I'm a coach. So much comfortable asking
0: the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the, well, you probably send me the bill now. I actually thought in preparation for today, I'd thought about trusting our own organization. I'd, I've also thought about it in very direct relation to That reduction in force because we do have a great culture and we did and we do. And talking about it with Jordan, our head of People and Places, VP of People and Places, I should say, we backed off measuring our employees' um, satisfaction. I hate employee satisfaction surveys, so that's not what I'm referring to. But like, you know, people's desire to continue to work for carbon, are they getting purpose? and enjoyment and satisfaction out of their work. I don't know exactly the best way to, you're probably better at it than me. Well, not probably, definitely. Um, You know, sort of measuring that without actually, you know, sending them a 300 question survey every month, you know, like that's not what you want to do. But we've been talking about that actual process of saying, okay, well, you know, assume that we eroded trust during that process, right? Like that is a reasonable assumption to make because, you know, one day things are going fine. And despite the leadership group having to plan out the reduction in force for six to eight weeks, you know, to some people, it looks like it just turned up that day, right? And that erodes trust. So we are now in the process of looking at ways to sort of, you know, rebuild that trust, rebuild that enjoyment and passion and purpose in people's work. You tell me, like, how should we be going about thinking about those kinds of things?
1: Well, there's definitely not one right answer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's dive into trust a little bit. So why I love trust. So when I started doing work in the space of culture, what I really learned and experienced was that all strong organizational cultures are built on a foundation of trust, communication and alignment. Like it's those three elements. But like, and over the years, as I was doing more work, I like, it really came up that everything, I like to say, 99% of your issues are trust issues. Like, even when it comes down to communication, a lot of times it's the trustworthiness of the person who's communicating the message that causes whether or not people are going to understand it have their behavior change because of it and same with alignment a lot of times we miss we're misaligned on teams because we don't trust the person's vision or we don't trust the team that's doing this so that's why i really focused on trust because i realized mostly everything was coming down to a trust issue
0: as an accountant how do you reconcile those three things with revenue and profit
1: <laughs> so that's a great question and that's where i'm going to bring in david i believe how he say his last name is david Horsager. and he did a research study, and this is why like when I read his book, I was like, oh my gosh, all of my worlds are sliding and my heart is on fire right now. Because what his research showed was that the lack of trust in an organization has a larger effect on a company's bottom line than anything else. So he really tied together trust and financials. So in his study, a lack of trust affects a company's bottom line more than anything else. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, How hard are you working on a team if you're surrounded by people who you do not trust? How much are you truly giving on a daily basis if you don't trust leadership or the direction that we're going? Do you buy products and services from companies or brands or people that you do not trust? It's like trust is the underlying element in all of what we're doing in business. That's how I reconcile it.
0: (laughs) And that all makes sense. The things that come to mind is there's some outliers, right? Like where people like Elon perhaps Nobody can get away with the things that he can because of his level of intelligence. There's an X factor that has some organizations stand out, but if you go and try, if mere mortals sort of go and try and do some, do things like he does, you'll just, you'll end up at the bottom of the pile. Like, like the one that comes to mind was the mortgage company. I think it was called Better, which just sort of blew up (laughs) all at once because they, they got way ahead of themselves, you know, like so, you know, because in, particularly in the Valley, right? Like revenue fixes all issues (laughs) and, or valuation does. But I I guess what what you're saying is like, yeah, but over the long-term trust is a fundamental that you can rely on genius and intelligence. Maybe, (laughs) maybe not so much.
1: Totally. And I would encourage you like any issue that you have at your company, whether it's with an individual, whether it's a team, like if you're not hitting the results that you want to be hitting, I guarantee you it's a trust issue like there's somewhere on that team or within that relationship like trust has broken down or customers don't trust your product
0: what are all the things that you do leah to bring that bring to organizations to sort of start start uncovering those trust issues
1: yeah so one of the first things we do with clients is we talk about the behaviors that build trust so ultimately Trust is, it's not something that just like magically happens. And it's also not something that just magically vanishes. It's the things that we do. It's our behaviors that build trust. And it's our behaviors that break trust. And so that can be really helpful for people to understand because trust is this big, like complex topic. But really, if you break it down, it's like a framework. So these are the five behaviors that build trust. And so we teach that to clients of this is how you build trust so that they can ultimately scale trust throughout their organization. And you scale trust throughout your organization by doing these five behaviors, but you need everyone at your organization to be doing these five behaviors because ultimately all of you build the culture together, right? So the five behaviors that build trust, number one is connection. Ultimately, we trust people that we feel connected to. And at the root of trust, it's all about relationships. And so you trust people who you feel genuinely connected to. So let me ask you, I want you to think about somebody in your life who you completely trust, okay? And tell me, what are the things that this person does that creates trust for you? What's their behaviors?
0: I would say that they're genuine, that they demonstrate integrity. They do the things that they say that they're going to do. To me, that that is a characteristic that, you know, above many others probably builds more trust than not. How's that? How's that for a start?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, totally. So genuine and integrity, they do the things that they say they're going to do. So that genuineness, that comes in the connection piece. So the first thing that you need to do to build trust in your organization is connection. You need to have ways that you're genuinely connecting with the other people at your company. Another one is commit. And so that's exactly what you're saying. Do the things you say you're going to do. You build trust. We trust people who do the things they say they're going to do. One of my clients, G Health, they call this your say-do ratio. What's your say-do ratio?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a corporate ratio, but I get it. I understand.
1: (laughs) Right? Are you at 90%? Do you do the things you say you're going to do? One of the things I love about that behavior too, commit, is that I work with so many companies on trust and none of them, I never find anyone who is maliciously, breaking this behavior, who's saying, you know what, I'm gonna go around and I'm going to make so many promises and I'm not gonna do any of them. But it's like, this is a huge trust building and trust breaking behavior. So we have to be really aware of what we're committing to at a company because we want to commit to all these things. We, we're we so passionate, we wanna do all this stuff, but we're human. Life happens, we get sick, we realize we're not the decision maker, we don't have the right resources. So this is one that you have to be really careful with because it comes up every single time. People say, I lose trust on my team when somebody commits to doing something and they don't follow through with it. And so like, that's where communication really comes in. Communicating when you can't follow through on something.
0: Alignment comes into that for me, right? Like we're an organization with, with fucking no shortage of ideas, right? Like some organizations struggle for, you know, what to do next or something. We've got enough ideas for the next 30 years, right? Like with no worries. <laughs> But what not to do, right? So as you say, people don't go into a conversation thinking, oh, you know, I'll agree to do something and then just have absolutely no intent. Well, most of the time, have no intention of not doing it. But what happens is we agree to do too much and we don't agree not to do anything. We try and we try and we try. We we mostly fail, but I think we're getting better is to agree what not to do. (laughs) Seems to help with our trust process but also our alignment and our capacity to do the things that we say we are going to do, we do a better job of them. What's your experience with that? Does that make sense or am I talking crap?
1: No, it makes total sense. And I think that that's something that's really important. I love that you all are doing that because doing the things you say you're going to do is such a big trust builder that especially as leaders, if you can commit to less and do those things and do them well, that is a much better way to build trust with your employees and with your company and with your clients than if you overcommit because you wanna do all these things, but you don't follow through on them, like you're gonna break trust in the process. So I really love that you are, and I like too that it sounds like you're having a list of like, this is what we're not doing and maybe it's just a parking lot. Like we're not doing this right now. This might be done in the future, but these are the things we're committing to right now. We're gonna follow through on them. One, because it's going to help us achieve our vision, and two, it's going to build trust with everyone in the process.
0: And it helps you stay focused, right? Like, that's, a lack of focus is one of the most frustrating things as a leader, I reckon, is like, you know, because we can say we're going to do everything, but at the end of the day, you you know, like, it's very difficult to get an organization to be able to do everything well, right? Like, that's probably the hardest thing.
1: Yeah. And staying focused, that goes into another trust behavior, which is be clear, like ambiguity and confusion in all forms decreases trust. So you have to be super clear on what are our priorities? What is our vision? What is our direction? What are our roles and responsibilities? Who owns what? When anything is unclear, your trust is breaking down.
0: This is something I've noticed as we increase in size, right? And you'll see this in all organizations and it's pretty fucking obvious, however, it sort of presents itself in different ways, right? Like you can deliver the vision or anything, right? Like you can say the message to a certain number of employees. You deliver the vision when you're 20 employees, right? Now, when you're 200 and and those 20 employees will get a slightly different version of what you just said. If you ask them to play that back to you, they're going to tell you something in the various forms of what you said. If you go and ask 200 people the same thing, the scope by which that they're repeating what you just <laughs> said expands, right? Like the scale increases and it's like, okay, well, I now I have to spend more time being clear in air quotes. That doesn't work well in podcasts, right? So I think that as you, and this is rounding back out to where we started before is like, why It's a different skill set required to take an organization from 30 million to 100 million in revenue that it is that 10 to 30, and there's a different skill set below that as well, by the way. But to me, that's some of the areas that you have to really improve at. Just being consistent, being clear, demonstrating clarity. <laughs> is that something, I mean, you work with all kinds of different size organizations. Is that, does that resonate with you or am I talking crap? <laughs>
1: It definitely resonates with me. And I think it's also like, as you grow, that's where like leadership development and leadership training becomes so important too, because you can't be only clarity person. You can't be the only one who can really explain the vision and make sure everyone clearly understands it. Like that's where you need your leadership to step up too. So you need to make sure that they're all clear. You know, like, yes, you're still getting the vision to everyone at the company, but you need to make sure that your leaders are all clear and checking with them. And then they're the ones that are making sure that it's clear with their direct reports. And if they lead leaders, you know, it just kind of goes down, but you cannot, like, as the CEO, as the head person, like you can't be the only one who has clarity on everything. It's just, you can't scale that way.
0: Yeah. I think it helps. Well, in our organization, you know, a lot of the leadership group have been sort of, you know, six, seven, eight years with us, right? So most of the lifetime of the organization talking about biology, we tend to have a lot of osmosis, right? Like, we do understand each other, we do understand the direction and, the, and it, it's, we differ sometimes on the journey that the how we're going to get there. But I think generally speaking, the why and the where is pretty consistent. You'd have to ask them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and see, that's what happens sometimes too, is a lot of teams are like, oh no, we're really clear with each other. Like we're all on the same page. And then you ask all of them and they're all not on the same page. <laughs>
0: no that's happened to us before like i remember in like like 2018 2019 is like i thought we we're going into our all you know like a, a leadership offside. Fucking this should take about 25 minutes we're we're sweet we're all going the same place i realized 15 minutes in Fuck me we're, we've got we better extend this out by days because we are miles off we are nowhere near on the same page and you know, like that for all kinds of reasons. But we got there. We got there. We had a pretty good session. How have you found sort of all all of your work? How's it changed post pandemic? Are people sort of coming back together and getting the benefit of that, or is it still predominantly remote?
1: So what the pandemic did really well for our business was it helped other companies see that you could do leadership training and coaching that you could do this work remotely. You know, again, my background was in remote first organizations. So it opened up a lot of companies' eyes. So we were able to grow really quickly. We were able to get new clients. Now we do a lot more in-person, which is great. I love being with clients in-person, but it's kind of just, you know, the pandemic, I know that it was hard for a lot of businesses. And again, it was really hard for us. We had Zero dollar revenue for a while, but um, like it did end up helping us. It ended up being a really good thing for our business and for the growth and trajectory of what we're doing. So that was good.
0: And I've taken us off on a tangent here. Okay. So the first behavior is connection.
1: Yep. Second one. Yep. Second one. commit.
0: Commit. So that's agree to disagree. And what there's another there's a, an evolved saying now it's sort of like it's um just arrive at a point and go disagree and commit. There you go.
1: And then the third one we talked about was be clear. And then the fourth behavior that builds trust is creating safety. So we feel We trust those who we feel emotionally and psychologically safe with. So this is all about building psychological safety with the people on your team. One of the best ways that you can do this as a leader is to demonstrate vulnerability, is to say things like, "I don't have the answer. I made a mistake. I don't know. Let's collaborate on this together. I'm not sure of the right answer. You've done an incredible job today. You create a very safe space. You've been very like open, honest, and vulnerable. Like." I don't know what I'm doing. I've made a lot of mistakes. Like you create a very safe space.
0: I will um, pass that on to Johnny, my therapist. He'll be very happy to hear that.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. What do you all do well at Carbon to create safety with each other?
0: I joke, but um, we do quite a few things along those lines. I use the words deliberately sometimes, you know, okay, this is a safe space for you to... And I won't say it if it's not, by the way, because <laughs> that that's quite the opposite, isn't it? That'd be a prickish thing to do. That sounds like a very political thing to do. the um, I've used those words, I, I do, not that often, because, again, it sort of takes away the seriousness of it. But um, we use the Enneagram amongst our leadership group to learn more about each other and to understand perhaps the reactions that we have to certain conditions. And the way that those of us that study that a little bit more, and I'm not great at it, but I'm getting better, is you can help people understand clarity, (laughs) provide clarity by describing things in different ways for different people, right? And that's not adjusting your message to the audience like some Republicans do. It is simply to engage in conversation that has, perhaps brings about more meaning or brings about a connection (laughs) that would otherwise not exist because you are describing things in their words and or describing things in ways in which have a better connection. The ones that come up often, strategy, right? That's the difference between a strategy and a plan or being able to articulate a strategy in ways that are um, carry meaning for those across the the Enneagram. And so for instance, Leah, what we would do is say, okay, well, one of the parts of our strategy is to create beautiful connections between firms and their clients and be a very frictionless part, but a central part of that, that communication. Now to some people, to the ones and the threes in particular, they might say, well, that's complete bullshit. How the hell? what are you talking about? What does that even mean, right? Like, and that's a very legitimate question to a broad statement. But if I say it in a different way, if I say it in the in a way that says, okay, well, one of the things that Carbon is really good at is being, you know, that centerpiece of communication between the firm and their client. And if we could expand that, if we could make that more central, we're very good at email. But if we can be at all the different transport mediums that firms and clients communicate, then we're gonna help create those connections better. And so there are different ways in which we communicate by understanding the ways in which people respond to strategy and plan. That's a very fucking long way of saying (laughs) that.
1: (laughs) But I think what you said is so important, like basically what you all are doing, like carbon is helping to build trust between firms and clients, like you are a part of building that trust. It's almost like supercharging it.
0: And enabling that journey, right? Like what we discovered was that, and if you don't resonate with this, fucking tell me, but what we discovered was that people become accountants because they love seeing others being successful. They love helping people on that journey. Right. And, and it's not really about the end game for accountants right? Some people, particularly entrepreneurs to some degree can be about the end game. You know, the big check at the end. Accountants aren't built that way. They love seeing their clients become more successful as they progress through their lives, through their businesses, through their families. And if we can help that, if we can enable that, if we can build that trust along the way, then we're doing our job. And that was part of the strategy that we have. And but articulating that in different ways is important, so that you know internally we can help build a product that enables that. Right? Like, deceit making the the abstract tangible is a very difficult part of leadership, and it's an aspect that I've been working on. That's not that easy.
1: <laughs> well, I think that, that, and that's like a good way to describe trust too. It's like trust is so abstract. So, like, how do you make it tangible? And the five behaviors.
0: Yes, so we got to four, four was creating safety.
1: But you know, one thing I do want to say about, yeah, what you're doing with the Enneagram with your leadership team, like you hit on it. Like that is such a good activity because it hits on so many trust building behaviors where you're connecting, where you're being clear on who each other are and how you like to communicate. You're creating safety where it's like, you're learning about each other, you're understanding, you're kind of shifting maybe your communication style a little bit to how they most like to receive information. So it's an amazing trust builder that you all are doing. The last behavior that builds trust is celebrate. So recognizing people, seeing what people are doing and calling it out. That is a powerful builder of trust.
0: Yeah, this is one I rely on my team more that I'm not very good at this. So as an Enneagram eight, I've got this shocking habit of the never ending horizon. (laughs) And it's like, by the time we get there, I've I've already been there, done that in my head. I've seen how the results play out I've seen what's supposed to happen and I've moved on. It's a terrible habit. I do it in my marriage as well as, as freaking very, not very healthy sometimes, but, um, I try and be more conscious of it and, um, I rely on the other members of the leadership team to be more promote our celebration or, or be more regular, be more committed to our celebration and our celebratory moments than I do.
1: <laughs> you need those people around you to be like. Let's stop. We need to celebrate this. This is a big deal. Like this was a goal. Everyone's been working for it. I know that you're past it, but like we need to take the time to celebrate.
0: Yes, I'm. I'm learning on there. I reckon we don't do a too bad a job, but again, you'd have to ask my team.
1: I am interested with like these five behaviors of connect, commit, create safety, be clear, celebrate. Like using this as a framework when you think about like you know we had these layoffs a couple months ago. Like if trust has been broken. For example, like what I would recommend you do is look at this, okay, where might we have broken trust? Was it with clarity? Do people feel disconnected? Do people feel like it's not, you know, like use that because then that can help you prioritize your efforts to rebuild.
0: What I've experienced over the years is different people in the organization and and to some degree, different personality types, they will be at different places on on that journey of trust. Like, and on that journey of recovery, you know, like a, a rift causes anger and frustration and breaks trust and some will, will move through their stages of anger better or faster, or just be at different places on that journey as on the journey to recovery, I guess. And I think different parts of our organization will be demonstrating different areas of difficulty, say perhaps the clarity in our engineering might be different to they might be struggling most there perhaps the sales organization might be struggling with you know a commitment or a connection but you know now that they're they perhaps they're feeling more vulnerable or something you know like different types of dynamics right so i think the way i would would try and address it is sort of like ask each of the leadership team to consider you know, those areas and say, okay, well, which ones are we feeling like, you know, perhaps we're furthest behind on?
1: I would have everyone like consider that for, you know, possibly how to re like how we broke trust or whatever. But also then it's like, this is how you rebuild it. So your trust have to be completely broken for you to rebuild it or for you to continue building it. So it's like you focus on these things. Okay, we need to connect our team. We need to be clear. We need to make sure that, you know, what we say we're going to do, we're going to follow through with it. We need to create safety for everyone. We need to recognize people. So it's like that's how you can like start putting it into action immediately.
0: What's changed over the years, right, is sort of like um, you know, you used to go out into the woods and and do trust falls, right? And like, there you go, fucking move on, everybody trusts each other. Done. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> A, we're not as together anymore. But B, it's sort of like, you know, the human evolution, I think, or well, corporate evolution has improved. And um, There are many different ways in which uh, you can help build trust in organizations. What's some of your favorites, Leah?
1: So honestly, like these five behaviors, like I call it like the trust operating system. Like it really is. So I love just going into organizations and it's a trust operating system. So teaching these behaviors and helping organizations to operationalize it, because ultimately it's when you're doing these five behaviors consistently, that's how you scale trust. So like we did the Enneagram one time three years ago and we all connected so clear. We all trust each other. It's like these are the things you have to keep doing.
0: What number uh you or the 2?
1: Uh, I actually haven't taken the Enneagram. I've taken every other
0: Oh, really?
1: Personality okay. Test well,
0: number. we we have to do another podcast cuz this I've never had a podcast where, where I feel like uh you've switched it on me. So um I'm happy. I'm <laughs> by the when we do the next one, I want you to have done the Enneagram for me, okay? You trust me? <laughs>
1: have you done the predictive index? I just did that one for the first time.
0: No, not that one. So I'll do that one for you if you like.
1: That was a cool one. I was into that.
0: <laughs> doing some of these sort of trust exercises, So doing the Enneagram, doing a predictive index. What, what kind of in-person activities do you like to explore?
1: So many good ones. So, and I mean, this is another reason why even when you have a remote company, it's so great to get together like once a year for a retreat. Again, my background is in remote-first organizations, so I am all about remote work, but I've been attending a lot of my clients in-person QBRs and retreats recently, and it is just such a good time for you to do all of these five trust-building behaviors, for you to connect in person. You are able to understand, you get more clarity on who people are, what their intentions are, just what their motivations are when you get to spend a little bit extra with them. So I do think like having that in-person time can really be a big trust builder. I recommend that too
0: what are your goals for the business in 2023? Are you going to go from two full-timers to 200 or your your definition of success while your kids, while your girls in particular are uh, young? We're going to keep it lean and mean and make sure that we're a well-balanced family and business unit. How's that?
1: 2023 is all about world domination. (laughs) I'm just kidding. My workshop that I give, my favorite workshop, it's so fun. It's so impactful. It's called throw a trust party. And so I have a goal to throw 50 paid trust parties. I also like revenue. I told you that. So I want to throw 50 paid trust parties.
0: Trust party. I like that.
1: Yeah. Throw a trust party. How to scale trust to maximize belonging and results. It's the best. You know, we also love to travel. So I want to, 2023 is also the year where I want to travel more and give this work you know, around the US or the world. So that's part of the plan. But we don't have a ton of plans for growing the team right now. We're trying to look for more ways to make, um, you know, scalable passive revenue because we have really good products, we have really good services, but now we want to try and scale it in a different way without having to add to the team.
0: Productizes a little bit.
1: Mm -hmm. And then again, maybe in a couple of years, we'll want to like, we'll want to grow the team, but we're just not, that's not part of the vision for 2023.
0: You're a big Disney fan, I see.
1: Huge, huge Disney fan.
0: What's your favorite Disney ride or or experience?
1: My gosh, we've been to Disney World so many times. My daughter's four. She's been to Disney World four times. Like it's that. Honestly, I feel like I'm an Epcot person right now. I feel like I go through phases of which park is my favorite Epcot. I'm an Epcot person right now. I just love the different countries. (laughs) I love the different (laughs) experiencing the world. I just think it's so fun. It's so fun
0: we were at Disneyland the other uh, a couple of weeks ago. That was that was all good. No major meltdowns, and the kids were fine as well. <laughs> but in a drunken moment, my wife can convinced us we're gonna we're gonna try our first Disney cruise next year. So we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah, I've never done one, but it's amazing.
0: Shoot me, basically, for to ever go on a cruise. I'm so anti-cruise. I really don't want to be locked up with any, anybody apart from those that I don't have a choice to be with, let alone like 3000 others. But here I am already regretting perhaps my choice for October next year. But as you said, even people who hate cruises rate the Disney experience uh, very, very highly. So um, let's say I'm a reluctant participant at this moment. I'm very hesitant, but uh, anyway, you know, It's the things we do.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm excited to hear how that goes for you. Let me know. I'm also not a cruise person, so I probably will not partake on even a Disney cruise.
0: Wow. All right. So if I come back from the, like even me, if I come back and say, Leah, you know, as a cruise hater and as a Disney moderate, (laughs) you know, even I'm a fan, you'll go.
1: I will trust you if I feel connected to you. If I feel safe. (laughs) Very good. Very clear on what was good about the cruise.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, and I'll I'll build a safe space in Mickey's den or something. (laughs) That could get fucking weird, couldn't it? Okay, all right. Hey, Leah, we're, we're massively out of time here. We um. I've had so much fun. We have to do this again.
1: I would love to, yeah.
0: Congratulations on all all your success so far and and uh, building the business and, and all the impact that you're having with organizations and CPAs. And uh, let's do this podcast again and we'll dig further into trust. How's that?
1: Love it, love it. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Thanks, Leah. All right, see ya.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.